Hey all, this is Sean Gerber. Thank you for listening today, but before we get started, I have a couple of questions for you. Are you caught in the daunting maze of CISSP preparation, unable to find your way forward? That's precisely where I found myself when I began studying for the CISSP. Overwhelmed would be an understatement. There are now an ocean of CISSP training programs available, and are you unsure which ones to trust? I remember the struggle, but there was nothing accessible to me outside of the pricey boot camps. And that's precisely why CISSP Cyber Training came into existence, to illuminate your pathway towards acing the CISSP exam. At CISSP Cyber Training, I've forged the CISSP blueprint into a step-by-step guide to navigate you through the intricacies of the CISSP journey designed to provide you the direction and guidance you need to pass the CISSP exam confidently. But don't just take my word for it. Listen to what one of my students, Kevin Fallon, had to say about the CISSP blueprint. This is precisely what I needed in your course, direction. The blueprint is the perfect roadmap to stay on track. I appreciate its clarity and tangible sense of progress it brings. A phenomenal tool for revision. And then there was another from Christopher Wagstaff. Sean Gerber, your guidance was invaluable throughout the CISSP study and certification process. Thank you for breaking the monotony. Once you've wrapped up with the podcast, make your next stop, CISSPCybertraining.com, and let's together turn the tide in your favor, meeting your CISSP goals and catapulting your career in cybersecurity. Now, without further ado, let's get going. Giddy up. Welcome to the Reduce Cyber Risk Podcast, where we give you the tools you need to meet your cybersecurity regulatory requirements while helping secure your business and keep the evil hacker horde at bay. Hi, my name is Sean Gerber, and I'm your host for this action-packed, informative podcast. Join me each week as I provide the information you need to best protect your business and reduce your company's cyber risk. All right, let's get going. Welcome, this is Sean Gerber with Reduced Cyber Risk on this episode 12-10-2018. We're going to be going over a lot of really cool stuff today. Well, first off on our security snapshot, we're going to get into the Australian encryption law and the challenges that go with that. Second is the Marriott breach and how that may or may not affect you and kind of some things that are coming out of that. Also, the Cali IoT, so California IoT or Internet of Things and their law that just passed recently. We're going to flow into the business tips around Amazon VPNs, VPC security groups. And finally, we're going to do some security training on the CISSP and its introduction. All right, let's get going. All right, in this security snapshot, what I want to kind of talk about is the Australian encryption bill that came out uh, about last week sometime. The main thing that came out of this is that what they're wanting, they, well, actually they're wanting, what they're going to do is the Australian government is requiring that application developers create basically a backdoor into their encryption scheme scheme that are in their applications. The interesting part about this is now, and we've been wanting to do this for years, is that an individual or a, a country can say, you know what, for law enforcement purposes, we what we want to do is we want to allow uh, them to get access in case the terrorists are going to plan something. So they want to basically put a shim into the encryption piece of applications. So this is going to affect your Googles, your Facebooks, everybody, right, that deals with Australia. 
So then the question you got to ask yourself is, okay, what if the U.S. government reaches out to Australia and says, hey, by the way, would you got to put this shim in there for your stuff or somebody else? And this is just a bad idea. The simple fact of it is that anybody thinks that the criminals are going to go, oh, I guess they got us now. We're done. No big deal. All right. We're, we're going to have to figure something else out. I guess they're just going to catch us. Uh, that is not going to happen. No way is that going to happen. So what will happen is, is that these criminals will find new ways around it. And they'll just <laughs> they'll figure out something. They're going to be very creative. They're very smart. Not real good on what their plan, their future plans are, but they're very, very smart people. Not all of them, but many of them are. And so the Australian encryption bill is actually going to be a detriment to security. And everybody I've talked to and the people that you, and you hear the, the things that are coming back about it, everybody just shudders at what a mistake this is. And what it comes down to really is legislators who really do not understand what they're doing and or they're getting pressure from their constituents that they have to do something. So this looks like a good solution. It's just a bad, really bad idea. The Marriott breach. Okay, 500 million accounts were compromised during this breach. And yeah, that's a bad thing, right? Well, one of the things we're kind of starting to see is they're going to do the obligatory, well, here, here's your free credit reporting. It depends. I mean, Marriott is all over the globe. I'm in one right now in China. Um, but they're all over the globe. The simple fact of it is, is that they're going to get to a point where they go, um, well, yeah, we're just, we did it. We did, you give you your obligatory uh, security stuff. And oh, by the way, oh, look, there's a, there's a rabbit over there. And then they just keep on moving on and they're still going to make money. Um, the interesting part about all of this is just that it, these breaches that continue to happen, even though there are 500 million accounts and the, the, at the end of the day, the customers are the ones that have to t pick up the pieces. And, and so people will say, well, that'll affect their bottom line. I don't know if it really does. And we've, we've seen and I've heard rumblings from other people talking about that breaches, they used to be like the targets that had the, the HVAC, the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning company that breached the target, U.S.-based company. And they said that, well, that would affect them and what's going on in their environment. I don't think it really did. And so the interesting part of it is, is that these breaches continue to occur. I mean, it costs, I should say that, it costs Target a lot of money. But at the end of the day, Target's shares are still up. And other companies that have had breaches, they're doing all right. So it will be interesting to see what these breaches in the future do and how this affects everything. The California IoT bill. What is that? Well, it's the Internet of Things bill. And what they require or what California is requiring is they're trying to get away from having the ability where these companies that are coming up with your smart um, light bulb and people are just throwing some sort of wireless uh, device inside a light bulb saying, OK, great, hook it up to your home. The problem is there's no security around it at all. There's no standards to any of this. So the plan of it is, is that, well, if we come up with some level of standards for these different IoT devices, it'll force manufacturers to do that. I commend them for doing it. It needed to happen. It's a smart idea. The challenge will be is how does that play out long term? So it, what it's really going to force the United States is a conversation about they're going to have to do something. Because right now, the United States, you've got EU with GDPR, you've got China with the Chinese cyber law, and then yet the United States, which is still behooven to behooven, behooven. Yeah, I'm trying to sound really cool and smart, and I just proved that I'm not. Um, they're basically going to come down to they're going to they've got multiple bills that are in place that are focused on cybersecurity, but nothing around this. So it'll be interesting to see what the U.S. government does and picks up the plan, because there are some other bills that are out there around in Ohio, around its security for businesses that if they don't 
Uh, it's the safe harbor, which basically says that if you are a business and you try to follow the security frameworks that are specified out there, cybersecurity frameworks, you will be protected in the event of a lawsuit. We'll see how that plays out. But it, it, again, you got states in the United States, individual states that are coming up with their own security plans versus we'll be we'll see what the United States does as a whole, the U.S. government, uh, to address that issue. All right, so we're going to roll into some business tips. So if you're a small and medium-sized business, I'd try to put these things out there for your business to just kind of give you a little insight into what is available uh, as it relates to security and your companies. So Amazon Virtual Private Cloud or Amazon VPC, it's its own little virtual environment that exists within Amazon. And in there, there is these th objects called security groups. And these security groups are basically a firewall. But the interesting world about the part about this is that uh, currently, if you have a business and you want to put in a firewall, they're usually hardware-based. Or if they're software-based, they're individually, they're kind of stuck in there. They're, they're, they're an individual application, per se. Well, what allows security groups is allowed is that you can now put firewalls, quote unquote firewalls, anywhere. And it allows inbound and outbound traffic specifically to your company. Um, and so you set up rules just like you would with a standard firewall, and then that will allow traffic to come and go. Now, the thing about these are is that there are a limit. They don't let you have 3,000 different firewalls, nor would I recommend that. Um, I've seen networks that have multiple segregations, multiple firewalls, uh, and they've, they've got virtual, uh, they call them VLANs, virtual local area networks that are coming off of firewalls. It's super complicated. It, depending on the situation, that may be necessary. However, I would beg to differ that it adds a lot of complexity in the point where it gets hard to manage. However, they need to have some rules in place to manage the traffic coming and going into your network. And these security groups will do that. Now, you have a limited number that you can use per your, for your VPC, and they basically, they, they have, you can specify specific rules for the VPC, inbound and outbound rules. So you can specify what exactly you want. Now, if you, for whatever reason, do not put in a uh, security rules, you want to go with a default, you just drop one in, in a security group, it's in place. It is set up specifically to allow outbound traffic only. It will not allow any inbound traffic. So in the guy that's me, like myself, that's got the third year, third grade education, you sit there and go, okay, great. I'm going to go play around and I've got my business out there. I'm going to go drop a security group in place and set one up and I'm good to go. And then I forget about it, right? Because I got distracted by the butterfly that's flying across the room. And then I get off on something else. That that happens to me routinely. Not butterflies, but yeah, things just kind of go, oh, squirrel, got to go over there. Um, the point of it is, is that when you set up these these security groups, that if you just put one in place and forget about it, what it does is it's set up so that you will only allow outbound traffic. Now, the question on that, though, the bad thing is if you get a phishing email and you're using your, your Amazon VPC and you click on the link, it will allow an outbound connection and it will allow connection between the two. Uh, the challenge is, though, is you, you've got to make sure that you set up your security group the right way and have only specific rules that are allowed into your network. Again, plenty of tutorials out there that you can do it. There's training out there on how to do it, but uh, the security groups are a great tool to protect your company. The other thing is, is that your security groups can talk to each other. So if you have your VPC, when it's a big cloud, and you've got a couple security groups in place, well, what will happen is, is you want them to talk to each other. Well, by default, they don't, right? But you can set up rules so that they actually can, so it allows interconnections between uh, different entities within the cloud. Great idea awesome idea. I think it's incredible. The challenge is, though, is you just got to make sure that you know what you're doing because you could actually open up more risk to your company than you're anticipating. 
okay? Um, the other thing is security groups are associated with network interfaces. So each network that you, a network interface that you have set up within your VPC, it, you can associate a security group with it, which is a great idea. So now that you've got all these networks that are potentially coming into your cloud, you can set up a, a security group specifically for each network instance. Great way to, to limit traffic and monitor or manage your traffic that's coming in and out. All right. So that is the business tip for today. Amazon Virtual Private Cloud Security Groups. Now for training. All right. So we're going to roll into some training. My plan is on a reduced cyber risk. We want to kind of go over uh, some, give you some practical stuff for your business. We want to give you some security news that's going on and then some training on how to best protect your business, how to uh, find the right people for your company. And if you're a security person, the right training to help move you on your way. Well, as an example, I've got uh, CISSP training. I'm a CISSP myself. And what we want to provide is I'm going to provide you some level of what can you expect from your on the CISSP. Now, if you're a business, you're probably going, I don't want nothing to do with the CISSP. I don't need it. That's okay. This training will be awesome for you in the fact that it will give you some knowledge and some language on what your security person is actually telling you. Because when all I know is that when people talk to me about finance, all I hear is want, 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 want. I'm like, what are you saying? I don't understand what NPV is, net present value. What the heck does that mean? So the point of that is, is that if you don't know the language and you don't know, understand what they're saying to you, it's really hard to communicate and ensure that your business is secure. So therefore, this kind of stuff is going to be awesome for you, especially if you're looking for security folks or you're trying to figure out how to navigate the security cyberspace, right? All right. So ISC squared, okay, a little square doodad, right, um, is the International Information System Security Certification Consortium. Say that 10 times and your tongue will fall out. Uh, but it's ISC squared. And they are the, the governing body that actually provides CISSP training, okay? And they also will certify CISSPs. And if you don't are familiar with what a CISSP is, a Certified Information Security Systems Professional, I think that's what it is. Bottom line, it's the big daddy dog certifi certification for security folk. And it's like up there, right? It takes forever to get. It's like super expensive. But once you get it, you become Superman in the security world. Uh, no, not really. But you think you are, and that's good. But you're not. So, because um, I'm learning stuff every day, and I've been a CISSP since 29, 20, 2009. And yeah, you, you just, it's constantly changing up to the point where I talked about Amazon virtual private clouds and security groups in the previous part. Yeah, that didn't exist a few years ago. So this world is constantly changing. Anyway, back to what we're saying. The mission of the ISC squared is to maintain the common body of knowledge. It's a CBK and it provides certification for information security folk. That's what the purpose is, right? They produce security uh, exams. Uh, they produce security training all of those aspects, and you can go, they give you accreditation stuff for CE, continuing education training. Um, so all of those things are available through ISC Squared. And they support various certifications from CISSP, SSCP, so on and so forth, Alphabet Soup, ABCDEFG, all kinds of certifications they support. Now, what am I talking about here? Well, there's eight security domains that are tied specifically to the CISSP. And of those are security and risk management, Asset security, security architecture and engineering, communication and network security, identity and access management, security testing and assessments, security operations, and software development security. Okay, so these are the main bullets behind the CISSP. 
And so therefore, uh, that's how they bucket it. Now, because that's how they bucket it, what they also do is that's how the testing will come in play as it relates to the CISSP. Now, if you listen to all those big words, they're like having marbles in your mouth and you're trying to say them. It's like, what in the world is this? But they, they it's, believe me, I've been doing this for a few years. And the fa fact of the matter is, is that out of 90% of the stuff in here, I have touched it and not just kind of going, bing, touched it. Okay, I'm security guy. No, I've actually worked in all of these areas uh, pretty intensely from all the roles that I've had in the security space. So if you get the CISSP and you cover all these places, you really are, you have a pretty good, strong background in security and what to do. Now, the whole purpose of the CISSP is to make you a mile wide and an inch deep. In some areas, you might be like in, like 3,000 feet, but in most areas, it's like a mile wide and an inch deep. All right, so pre-qualifications. You have to be a practicing security professional. What the heck does that mean? So basically what it comes down to is, is that if you are a security admin on your data center, whatever it might be, you're a security professional because you should be incorporating security into your network, period, dot. If you're not, and you say, I'm not a security professional because I'm not doing it, but I'm an admin on a data center, shame on you, okay? Because bottom line is security is not just one dude or dudette's job. It is everybody's responsibility, and it's up to – because there's right now close to 2 million security people are going to have job openings within the next um, – by 2020-something, like 2021, 2022, somewhere around there, like 2 million security jobs open. So bottom line, they ain't going to fill all those. There's no way. So you have to understand security. Now, you, before you can take the test, you got to – or before you can become a CISSP, you have to have at least five years of full-time paid work experience – and that has to basically salary or commission within the least two of the eight domains. So what does that mean? That means of the eight domains, the security risk management, asset security, blah, 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 you, two of the eight, you have to have been making some money over those, okay? So you got to be doing it for a living. Or the big or caveat, air quotes, all that. You have a four years experience with recent IT, so information technology or information security degree from a college. The purpose of this is to that they've called their associates program, but it's because there's so few people to get this that have security background. They're wanting to get people in early to have. So like in the case of me, I had to have five years of security experience before I could even sit for the exam, which I failed once. It's a bugger. It's a bugger. Um, but bottom line is, <clears throat> is that you have to have that four years experience in, in these uh, colleges but it, it gets at least people started on that way. You can take the test early, but you're not a CISSP until after you complete the the, 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 tro the program, right? So you have five years to complete it, or actually it's six years to complete a five-year program. But once you're done with that and you've taken the test, then at that point in time, you can become a CISSP. You also finally have to have an endorsement from a sitting, uh, an active CISSP, all right? So it's, you can't just go take the test. You got to have somebody endorse you. Okay, so they do computer-assisted training or testing. And what does that mean? It's called CAT. And it, what it's set up as is it's each of those eight buckets that we talked about, 15% is the first one. So security and risk management. That thing is like forever long as far as training goes. It takes forever. It's like I've got it. I put it together. It's like 100 and some slides. Um, it's, it's a lot of slides, right? Well, it's probably not quite that many. It's probably close to about 80. But that – and that doesn't even cover everything. So – those that kind of training, 15% of it is is what you're weighted on for security and risk management. Asset security isn't as big, and it's about 10%. But if you look at the spectrum, it's from 10 to 15% is what you're looking at from a CISSP 
the testing. So the tests are the questions are pretty much broken up throughout the whole thing to make it relatively consistent. Now the thing with SAT with CAT is that if for some reason you do not do well. So say your instance, you're taking the test and it realizes, hey, Sean, he's got his third grade education. He doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. Bada boom, bada bing, you're out. Okay. If you start failing and start doing answering questions wrong, you're done. Game over. No more. They send you home. 1200 bucks in the pocket. Thank you very much. They take your 1200 bucks and you're on your way. Um, so I highly recommend that you study for this thing, but it is actually adaptive. It's figuring out if you actually know what you're talking about or if you don't. So I highly recommend this is that's different than when I took it. So in the old days, you know, as an old crotchety guy like myself, uh, we sit there and go, well, we had it rough. Well, I would say this is probably in some cases a little harder because I could just get away with memorizing questions and then kind of narrow it down. This you got to have to know your stuff. You can't just go and memorize questions. So when you're taking the test, what should you do? So when you're taking the questions, your exam tips, there's there's usually multiple choice, okay? It's usually four options-ish right around there. And, and some are very straightforward. Some are not straightforward. Some of them are like, please choose the best the best or most most bad, that's not the right word, but at least correct option of your of this question. And I, I hated those. I hated those. So you're like the least wrong, the least correct? What? I, yeah, that's subjective. Well, it's not subjective, but you think it is. So that what you got to do is you got to go through there when you're taking your test. One, take your time. Two, be prepared. Better be prepared for it. Three, take it, or that's uh, not three, but back to one, take your time. Um, and when you go through, number three, when you go through each of those questions, make sure you kind of narrow down. So of the four, which two of the four are like, eh, eh, these ain't going to work, period, dot, no question about it. Don't understand them. So then after that, you narrow it down to two. Now, if you still don't know, then what you should do is move on to the next question. But you know you've narrowed it down to those two. Then when you come back around, then what you do is you at least got a 50-50 shot. So if you're short on time and you go, I'm short on time, I don't have any shot. But at least now instead of, I've got a, instead of a 25% chance of getting the correct one, I got a 50-50 shot of getting the right, the right one. As long as you haven't, or haven't performed at the beginning as a buffoon and you're done and they go, they kicked you out early. So, you, yeah, you got to have to play that game. Bottom line is, though, is just be prepared to sit for this thing because it is a bugger it's a bugger no question about it i failed it the first time um i did self-study didn't go to a boot camp or anything like that didn't have any extra training however i would recommend if you can get some training if you're going to spend the money i think the boot camps are around seven to eight thousand dollars um i highly recommend that if you can afford that money go to it if not get some video training on what you should study for and how you should break that out um reduce cyber risk risk will provide some of that training as well so you'll be able to get some of that uh, but bottom line is be prepared for it do not go in there thinking you're, you're shooting from the hip that you're going to pass this thing. Now, maybe, again, you that all of you guys out there that have got master's degrees and are PhDs and are super smart, maybe you can get away with that. I, me, with my third grade education, not going to happen. Uh, nope, didn't happen. So, uh, again, you just got to be prepared for this test because it's a bugger. All right, so I focused on that, the CISSP training. So we went on, this talked about the security snapshot with what's going on in the security world, some business tips on virtual private clouds, and then finally, some training on the CISSP and how to prepare for the exam. You can get some references out there. You can go to iscsquared.org, and they have some self-study books that are available to you, and there's also some uh, links that will be in the show notes as well. All right, hope you had a great day. Enjoy the wonderful weather wherever you're at, and we'll catch you, for, uh, catch you on the flip side. See ya. Bye.
Thanks so much for listening today, as it was my pleasure to prep you for the CISSP exam. But are you interested in some free CISSP exam questions? Head on over to CISSPQuestions.com and sign up to join my email list and you will gain access to 30 free CISSP questions each and every month. That's a total of 360 questions just for signing up with CISSP Cyber Training. You will also gain access to other free resources, so just head on over to FreeCISSPQuestions.com or CISSPCyberTraining.com and sign up today. All right, have a wonderful day, and we'll catch you on the flip side. See you.